Welcome to Can I Get a Retake, where we explore the accomplishments of our innovative community. Each month, we speak with one of Great River Learning's higher ed instructors and authors. Together, we discuss trends in education, areas of study, and a variety of teaching styles and philosophies. My name is Michaela, your marketing coordinator. My name is Michelle, your web design supervisor. And this is Great River Learning's Can Can I I Get get a a Retake? Today on Can I Get a Retake, we are speaking with Erin Shoulders, Associate Professor in the Department of Biochemistry and Molecular Biology at Colorado State University. Erin has won numerous teaching awards, including the Board of Governors Excellence in Teaching and the N. Preston Davis Award for Instructional Innovation. His current research is directed at developing a biochemistry concept learning inventory, which we will talk about in today's episode. Most importantly, but we're biased, he is the author of Principles of Biochemistry, an online textbook and course materials published by Great River Learning. Welcome to the podcast, Erin. The first thing we want to know is just tell us a little bit more about yourself and your journey to the position you're in now. Oh, wow. So I, you know, I guess it goes all the way back to my undergraduate uh, degree. So I actually was a, uh, in high school as an athlete. And so I thought for sure I was going to go into athletic training or something along those lines. And, uh, and so I was in these chemistry and biology classes in my freshman year and also investigating whether athletic training was like a really good avenue for me to pursue. And I was recognizing that it'd be a, a, a fun job, but uh, not a great job um, in terms of of uh, the amount that I was going to get paid and the hours and you know thinking about having a family and those kinds of things. So, um, but I've kind of really enjoyed um, my biology and chemistry courses and I was doing really well in them. Uh, and so I started then pursuing those those topics and those courses um, and ended up actually getting a, an internship at Colorado State University doing research at Colorado State University during my undergraduate career that kind of set the course to get a PhD and then they hired me as a faculty member I mean that's skipping a lot of years (laughs) of course Um, but I was able to get my PhD there and then they hired me as a faculty member and I've been there ever since so can I ask what research you did as a student because I was actually a biology uh, (laughs) student and so I did some cancer cell biology research and so I'm always interested to know like what undergrad research projects exist. <laughs> yeah. So um, the undergrad research project, I can't, I have a vague memory of it. Um, so I was actually in a, it was a synthetic biochemistry lab. So I made a small peptide and um, we tested some of the, uh, the structural and um, physical properties of the peptide that I made. Um, we had introduced a mutation with an unnatural amino acid. And so we were comparing that to something that was in a natural state. So um, my dissertation work was uh, actually characterizing protein structure and um, of an RNA polymerase in poliovirus, which is the, the main enzyme responsible for replicating that virus. So, and it's a kind of a model virus and a model um, polymerase for many other viruses that are out there. But yeah, that's very cool. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just the only science course I took in college was a physics for poets course. Oh, okay. <laughs> so but but actually kind of 
the opportunity I've here to browse a lot of the material we get. I uh, mm. I understood the rest. That's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you get to see a lot, I'm sure. Well, so I really wanted to talk to you today about research that you're doing now. And so I was doing research on you, of course, you know, before yeah. we talk to you and interview you. And it said online that you are researching the development of a biochemistry concept learning inventory. Can you explain to us what the heck that means? Yeah, so concept learning inventories are um, exams uh, or tests or assessments, maybe is the best word to use, um, that have been developed in a number of disciplines, physics being one of them, chemistry, um, um, intro molecular biology courses, and lots of other courses. And the it's just really an assessment that's gone through a really rigorous process of, um, of carefully wording questions so that we have a high degree of certainty that what we're asking the student understands what's being asked. Um, so uh, the development of them requires a writing of a question that's in alignment with the learning objectives of a course. Uh, and then you administer that to a student. Uh, but in your first several rounds of administration, instead of it just being like a true-false multiple-choice question, you ask the student to respond to the true-false or multiple-choice question. But then you ask them to give them to give their reasoning behind why they responded that way. And so then you go through those responses. And a lot of times what you find out is, is that um, the student in their reasoning is indicating that they didn't even understand the intent of the question. And so then you have to reword the question and you have to give it again and you have to keep giving it until finally you get a high enough percentage, you know, well into the 90% of, of students that responded that you are confident they understood the question. And then you can give that assessment um, to students with a high degree of certainty that uh, it's communicated to the broadest you know, population possible. Mm -hmm. So we've gone through that process and now we administer and we're administering that as a pre-course and a post-course evaluation um, of our students. And we're you know, using what students knew coming in and what students know going out and we're trying to figure out, are we helping students gain learning objectives, which is you know, what of course we wanna do, mm -hmm. or are we hindering them or are we not helping them at all? Something along those lines. And it's interesting, we have found um, in some of that, we have some, uh, some initial data points um, because we just really felt confident about two semesters ago that we had an exam that was being properly communicated. And so we have about two semesters worth of, of data on that um, and have really felt that uh, there are some topics that we are either not helping students understand or we're actually hurting students. <laughs> um, yeah. Meaning that they walk away from our course with a worse understanding than, than they did yeah. in, which is not good. Uh, no, but it's good that you identified that. You right. Know, at least you can yeah. change that now. <laughs> yeah. So, you, you know, obviously you expect that the things that, you're doing in a classroom is helping you obviously that's right. your intention to teach a student but that doesn't always mean that you are so anyway so can you the questions that you develop go on to be used in like other exams or placement exams that they take or you know I'm thinking like standardized tests like ACT SAT type situations or is it mostly just used you know for your course it would be used for my course or a course like it mm -hmm. um, so 
we'll probably publish our results at some point in time um, in the next year or maybe two um, as we get more data points. But um, so it could be used in, in a, what would be considered a one semester biochemistry course. And lots and lots of universities teach a one semester biochemistry course. Um, many of them will have different learning objectives, of course, as you might imagine. Uh, but most of them will have fairly similar ones as well. So, uh, so it certainly could be used and can be used by other universities. Never really a standardized test or anything along those lines, though, no. Sure. Um, so, sorry. <laughs> so after you have this data from your questions, how are you then taking that and changing your teaching strategies? So you said one of the chapters or sections, you know, you realize that you were doing worse than, you know, you thought you were at least in teaching that. So how has that helped you, you know, change your course? Yeah. So the motivation for myself of, of developing uh, the CLI or the concept learning inventory was that I was constant. I was, uh, you know, putting a lot of effort into changing things that I felt weren't being well communicated, but never knowing if it was really helping or hurting or, you know, mm -hmm. none of the above for students. So I wanted an objective measure of that. And so then what we are now doing now that we are recognizing um, that there are weaknesses in our instruction, we're investigating those those uh, areas of weaknesses with a little bit further information. We're trying to pull some, some more data on students in terms of what they understood going into that section, what they understood coming out of that section. So we're doing some surveys um, along those lines. And then what we'll do is de design an intervention, something along the lines of more active learning or some sort of, um, you know, some sort of directed, uh, um, educational experience for them uh, that would uh, hopefully span that gap or, or mitigate the misconceptions that they must be leaving with. So, yeah. Um, what has been the response from your students as you work through this process? So we haven't really shared our results with the students. Um, the exam itself is something that we can't, I mean, we obviously have them take the exam, but we can't give them feedback on the exam. Um, I mean, we can give them a numerical score, but we can't show them which questions they got right or wrong, mm -hmm. simply because if the, the best way to do that is to give them a copy of the exam. And once that exam is out in the open, mm -hmm. then um, it becomes fairly worthless uh, because then students can use it as a studying tool um, in future semester. So it becomes a kind of a fairly worthless research tool. Um, so we, we, give students raw scores we say you got this at the beginning of the course you got this at the end of the course um, we haven't had a lot of time to though sit back with a student you know and select groups of students and have what would be considered a formal interview we have anecdotal you know things conversations but nothing um, nothing in the lines of of what would be considered a true research interview uh, not yet so yeah are you planning on conducting those in the future we haven't I haven't gotten to that that point yet. We're still trying to, the the statistical analysis of the the results that we're getting is is really taking up most of our time at this point. Um, so, uh, you know, which is not easy um, because we're really 
you know, you're, you're in many ways, especially as scientists, I mean, we're scientists and biochemists. So, you know, statistical analysis is pretty easy um, when you're dealing with cells that don't mm -hmm. have behavior, they just are responding to, you know, uh, physics essentially and thermodynamics and, you know, biological and, and chemical concepts. Whereas when you start tracking human behavior, <laughs> really what we're doing, it, it becomes pretty messy and we're not social scientists. So we've had to have lean kind of heavily on some of our social science uh, colleagues uh, to help us try and figure the, the statistical aspects mm -hmm. of our yeah. data. So. so have you been able to take any of that and kind of, have you put any of that into your publication that you've written with us? Yeah, yeah. So I, the many of those, if you look in the publication, many of those structural tutorials mm -hmm. are things that I recognized could be done effectively outside of a class, so that then students could come into a classroom um, with that knowledge behind them and then participate in in some other instructional methodology that would reinforce those concepts. Um, so. Yeah, many of those things that, that I've spent a lot of time trying to get into the publication are with that in mind. What can we do outside of a classroom? And then how can then that enhance the classroom environment to make it a more active, more engaging, more accessible, to use that word, yeah. environment for, for all of our students? Yeah. yeah, that's really powerful, really. The ability to then uh, take what you're learning with your research and then be able to change the actual text and the learning materials to fit that. So yeah, we <laughs> on the map. Yeah, and and not all students like <clears throat> web-based material, but mm -hmm. but the web-based material allows for a pretty rapid change in a text based off of what we're learning um, in a you know research project like what I'm trying to undertake. Um, you know, if you were to do what would be considered just your traditional textbook, right. you know, we're five years away from producing the next edition. Uh, and then, you know, once that's produced, we've already gotten data that suggests some of the things that we've put into that are not what we really need to put into it or, or now we have to adjust it. So it's too, right. the turnaround time is too long, um, in my opinion. Um, and yeah. that's why web-based text is really nice. It does, I, not all students like web-based text, but I'm becoming, I, I, I think more and more students are becoming comfortable with that. It's typically my non-traditional students that are looking for, can I get a hard copy? And I understand that, and mm -hmm. I get, um, but uh, it is becoming, that, that question has become less and less mm -hmm. progressive then, so. But when you, when you first chose to start working with us, um, I feel like you were kind of on the cusp, on the, the front end of this move towards digital, this move towards that adaptability and that flexibility. What then made you decide to move forward with online materials? Um, I think it was probably the knowledge that, or the things that I just you know mm -hmm. mentioned, that it would be more flexible. And it also was because it was, um, because it was, like you say, kind of at the you know fringe of it or the the leading edge of it, if you will. Um, it was it, it provided me the ability to write a, a text that was designed for a class and not a nation of classes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? So right. Um, my dissatisfaction with textbooks at that time and would still be true now 
um, would be that you, you look at a typical biochemistry textbook and what they are trying to do is give information for any class, any principles of biochemistry course that has, um, you know, that has uh, been devised in the entire you know, yeah. nation, if not internationally, right? So, so then they throw the, they literally throw the book at the students. And I find that most instructors are using 25 to 30% of a textbook that they're asking their students to spend 200, $250 on. So, right. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> um, but with all of, one question I did have was, this, this entire process of crafting these questions, testing them, crafting, testing, crafting, testing. Mm -hmm. How long did that take? And how did COVID and the realities of that kind of interfere with that or help it or just affect it? Yeah, it's a painful process um, because your, your feedback comes months after right so you, and you can only get you only have one opportunity in a in in a class to, to collect data you know and so your your opportunity to collect data happen only every like five months uh, and so it takes a long time so an adjustment that we make was then not tested you know and we couldn't get results back for a while because you know you make them at the beginning of the semester and when you get it until the end so so that took a long time um uh, COVID, I, in terms of its impact, I don't think it really impacted that process all that much because at the time we were using and we were placing questions online in the first place because it was just easier to analyze some of the results we're using um, our course learning management system, Canvas, mm -hmm. to do that. Um, and so that didn't, I don't think, impact um, our ability in any way, shape, or form to collect data. You know, um, it may have affected you know, just the pandemic itself and how students were managing things in their own lives may have impacted some of the data that we received back on it. But, um, but that's hard, it, hard, if not impossible to say uh, mm -hmm. what was happening. So, yeah. But yeah, it's been a wrong iterative process. Um, you start with some questions, you, you and your colleagues think, oh, these are good questions. And then you put them in front of students, you're like, oh, this is a crappy question. And, <laughs> Or, and then you and then you get into long like debates about you know and then you have to interview students and you have to read through all the responses and, and you know you get into you know debates within amongst your colleagues like well if we change it to this are we going to just perpetuate the problem but you do start to isolate we started to narrow down our our list of questions that were like okay i think we're finally properly communicating this so um, there's always a little bit of doubt in your mind as a researcher like have i <laughs> are the things that I think are true really true but mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's part of what makes research fun <laughs> yeah yeah what has been the general sample size how many students have kind of gone through this cycle do you think for you to narrow it down each semester our our classes have been anywhere between 180 to 250 students um, and so um, some of them are in the smaller range. So I would say that each semester we're, because sometimes we're doing two sections, we'd be getting about anywhere between 300 to 400 data points, um, you know, which is when you're, when we're doing the, 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 you know, the response, the written response that became very, very difficult 
you know, that many responses to read through them, try and understand um, what students are understanding about a question, rank them. And, and in particular, when you have to spread that work out amongst three people, which, you know, there's three of us that are working on it, uh, you know, that did lead to some like, well, you know, <laughs> are we, are we properly analyzing this question? So, um, so yeah, there's been a lot of data up to that point. Um, uh, and now we have two semesters worth of, of data that we feel like, okay, I think that we're finally got the questions down. And then it's really actually only this last semester that we feel like, because there was, we felt like in the spring 2022, we had, we had the questions right, but we missed, we didn't administrate it correct, correctly. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, because we were asking, we, we, there was a debate amongst us whether we should give students a response of I don't know as a possible answer because we felt like it's a more honest answer mm -hmm. um, for students to say I simply don't know especially in a pre-course evaluation yeah. because the likelihood of them not knowing how to answer the question is pretty high um, and so so um, we did one one section in spring 22 uh, where we didn't have the I don't know option and one that we did. And, uh, and then we decided we better go with the I don't know option because we felt like we were getting uh, in artificially inflated mm -hmm. results because some students were just guessing right. So, right. So, anyway. Yeah, that's hard to include that. We do have one last question that we're asking everyone. Then I can have Michaela throw that out there. Okay. <laughs> so our last little section is called You're Wrong. <laughs> not you, but uh, maybe our listeners. Yeah. And we, what we really want is you to think of one area or um, like the biggest misconception, I guess, biggest misconception in your field. I mean, I, I, there are misconceptions that students come in with, with uh, into the class. I think they're, you know, and I keep asking questions to try and find out if my students have them. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, just like eye clicker questions or whatever, you know, um, in, in, in the class. Um, but a common misconception in, in students coming into a biochemistry class that must be generated in their earlier chemistry courses is that this idea of equilibrium means that the concentration of products and reactants are equal to each other, which because, uh, because I think of the, the word equilibrium, they think mm -hmm equal when in reality it's not at all the case that the equilibrium is to do with the the word equal is actually to do with the rate constants or the rate not the rate constants but the rate of the forward and reverse process so that would be the the thing that or that's one of one of many misconceptions that i think students have coming into a class like uh, like biochemistry so that would be where we'd say no you're wrong that's <laughs> definitely not the case at equilibrium so Love that. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. It was yeah. very nice Absolutely. talking to you. Thank you, Erin, for joining us on Can I Get a Retake? Your research really is fascinating to both of us. The application of the scientific method to evaluate student learning and when and how and where that occurs really has widespread applications for teaching. Hopefully we conveyed your passion for getting to the root of student learning so they walk away having a full understanding of the principles of biochemistry.
And if any instructors listening are interested in this type of research, Great River Learning is here to support you and help you develop course materials that will assist you in capturing that student data. Can I Get a Retake is hosted by Michelle Manneman and Michaela Albee. The show is edited by Maggie Christensen. Artwork for the podcast was designed by Michelle Manneman. Our intro and outro music was created by Coma Media. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please subscribe, share, rate, and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. To join the conversation, you can find us on Instagram at Can I Get a Retake. For show notes and episode transcripts, visit greatriverlearning.com slash podcast.